were together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. Now, watch the response of the disciple. If such is the case with his wife, it is better not to marry. They said, wow, that's, that's a tricky proposition. If there's no way out of this thing, it would be better not to enter this thing. Now, Jesus' response is fascinating. Not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. It's a gift. For there are units who have been so from birth, and there are units who have been made units by men, and there are units who have made themselves units for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. What he's saying is that there are legitimate reasons to be single, and there are legitimate reasons to be married, and if you can't fulfill the, the, the criteria of marriage, don't enter Marriage. What is, you see, marriage is a gift, it's a calling, it's a vocation, it is more than more private choice than intimacy. It involves a call from God and a response from two people who promise to build, with the help of God's grace, a lifelong, intimate, sacramental partnership of love and life. The call to marriage is a particular way of serving God. And Jesus' response to his disciples in Matthew 19 clearly indicates those who believe they cannot fulfill the obligations that God places on the vocation of marriage, this person should resist any and every pressure, internal or external, to enter into it. And yet, like we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, being single is not a character deficiency. As Christians, we have no imperative to become married as soon as we can, or to prefer marriage over singleness as a more whole or wholesome situation. But just look at two out of many passages in the New Testament where Jesus and Paul are flying right in the face of a Jewish culture that placed marriage as one of the highest stakes in its society. We must stop believing and acting as if marriage is God's plan for every person, singles are not in transition. Married, married people have not arrived. Singles are not incomplete. And marrieds are not complete. Single women who buy houses are not spinsters. And single men who are older aren't losers. But this is how so much of our rhetoric comes. That's my first point. Marriage is not a civil right. It's a calling for some, a vocation for some, a gift for some. The second surprising fact about marriage is that the family created by marriage is not the most basic unit in society. It is not the most basic unit. It is not the most basic relationship in your life. Let me show you what I mean. The Gospels are filled with shocking statements about the family. Look at Luke chapter 14. It looks to your right. Luke chapter 14. 26. 
Great crowds are following Jesus. He turns, he looks at these crowds in a culture that idolizes the family in a directly proportionate way. These are one of the places where we are directly like the Jewish people. We live in a culture that idolizes the family. And I'm talking about Christians in the church and people in America. Look, to these crowds, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus simply refused to be one more name in a long list of loved ones. He's challenging the idolatry of the family. Put it back to Mark, one book to the left, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus is teaching there's a large crowd and his biological family. When his family heard about what was going on, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. This is Mary. This is Joseph. These are his brothers. These are virtuous people who are heroes of the faith. This is James, who became the leader of the church. Look at verse 31. And his mother and brothers came and standing outside the crowd. He was teaching. They sit in and called him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Do you see how Jesus is challenging the idol of family? He's relativizing. Biological family. He's taking a radical step for a first century Jew. This would be like walking up to some very conservative house church and dropping that bomb right in the middle of family worship. He is, he is trumping biological family in terms of a family based on loyalty himself. In a culture in which ties of blood and become everything, Jesus said there is a relationship that is more important, more basic, more fundamental, that is not based on blood ties, but on the tie of obedience and faith to me. Turn to John, chapter 19. And once you start to see this stuff, it's amazing how the scripture, the gospel, the fill with Jesus putting his finger on one of our culture's biggest idols. John chapter 19, starting in verse 25. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Now, if you can read the gospels with the intended eye, you should immediately suck your breath in and get ready for a win because it's not going to be good. Jesus saw his mother and the disciples of his love standing nearby and said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Once again, we see that faith and belief and obedience to Jesus transforms our familial relationship, relativizes blood time. But Paul picks up on this. I'm not doing the same thing with Paul's letters I just did with Jesus, but Paul carries it right on. His letters are filled 
church as the household, the Christian as his brother, the Timothy as his son. He picks up on all of them. In the Old Testament, the structure that Israel was structured as family centered. The family was the most important, the most basic unit of society in the Old Testament. There are, there are very important theological reasons for this. I'm not going to go into it. But in the New Testament, things shift. That's why Jesus is doing so much heavy lifting to confront this thing. In the New Testament, it shifts. The family is still important. But the church is the most basic relationship. It is the most basic unit of society, and it's the most important set of relationships that a person can have. We just looked at all three of these where Jesus is hammering his home. Now, this in no way jeopardizes the fact that God still has a, a very important role with biological family. In fact, the New Testament is filled with instructions about the family, about how we need to live, relate to one another. We need to study these instructions. We need to obey them. The New Testament still praises marriage and childbearing as honorable and critical vocations. But it takes them out of the driver's seat. It dislocates them from the fundamental unit of society. The point that needs to be understood is this. The family is no longer central in the kingdom of God. The church is central. The family is not God's most important institution on the earth. The family is not the social agent that most significantly shapes and forms the character of Christians. The family is not, in the New Testament, the primary vehicle of God's grace and salvation for the world. The church is God's most important institution. The church is a social agent that most significantly shapes and forms the character of Christians. And the church is a primary vehicle of God's grace for salvation to this world. You won't have to be circumcised into a family. You, you get baptized. Now, families in our society are in crisis. We all know this. And as a result, our bookstores are filled with literature on how to be a better family. Make it as a family. How to survive as a family. And it's the same in Barnes and Noble than it is in Christian There are conferences and sermon series and Bible studies on family and marriage and parenting, but divorce and uncivilized children are permeating the church at a higher rate than ever. It's not working. Our response to the problem is an incredible failure. Why? Because the transforming power of the sacramental assembly, the local church gathered on Sundays for worship, because the transforming power of the church is entirely absent from the Christian and the secular solution. How many of the books on marriage in the church, how many of the sermon series, how many of the seminars start by saying the first family is the church? Join the church that gives you bread and wine every week, that reads scripture, that teaches the whole Bible seriously, and has
relationship in the driver's seat? You, you make marriage about solving your needs? No way. No, no. God's answer to loneliness has always been, consistently been, every occasion of its solving in the Bible has been through the fellowship and friendship within the Christian community.